Well, hello, all you Jedi and Sith Lords out there, um, and welcome to another episode of our special, special show here on Fandom Talk, which is the Star Wars EU or EU Review, where me and Jacob go through various Star Wars stories and products, both old canon and new canon, and we talk about um, the stories they tell. Um, the characters within them, and just kind of what we think about them in general. Um, and boy, is there enough um, Star Wars material out there to keep us going for a while. Um, but um, as usual, as per the use, if you will, um, I am out. I'm also known as Red Lanyard, and I am joined by my ever-faithful Star Wars compadre, um, Oh, Jacob Vance Hardesty. Jacob, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic, uh, especially after reading this book. So, yeah. Oh, well, there's a little bit of a sneak peek for you guys right there. Um, but, um, yeah, y'all, we um, are on, unbelievably, honestly, we are on um, um, nine months of this show. Um well, yeah, feels like it's flown by. It's crazy. Here. Um, <laughs> thank you all so much for hanging out with us as we do it. If this is your first time here, um, it's really simple. Um, every month we choose some kind of Star Wars product, whether it be um, whether it be a comic or a book or a video game or whatever it might be. And Jacob and I, and occasionally um, a guest star um, here and there, uh, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about the plot. We'll talk about the things we like and don't like. We th- uh, we talk about uh, where it fits into the Star Wars um, uh, canon and lore and what it brings to the table. Um, and then at the end, we answer a question called, uh, does it fit into each of our um, grand canons? Which is basically if Jacob and I uh, respectively were to build our own timeline of Star Wars stories, uh, would the product we're talking about um fit in to that timeline or would it be tossed aside just like um so many um old canon stories have been but um this month we are talking about a wonderful new canon book uh we're talking about the book called lost stars um this is by claudia gray um it originally was published um hardcover in 2015 um, and then, um, and then p- paperback was released um, later that year um, internationally, um, and then in America was released um, in 2017 uh, on the paperback was. But um, so it's been out for a few years now. Um, but we um, have gotten to this one now. Uh, this is the first one by Claudia Gray that we've covered. Um, rest assured, Claudia Gray is going to to come up um, a lot more in the future after this book. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> I'd be down to do a lot more of her stuff. But um, yeah, uh, Jacob, I'll toss it over to you. G- give me um, just kind of a quick kind of framework about what um, Lost mm-hmm. Stars is, kind of where it takes place in the timeline and just kind of a rundown of what's going on in this year book. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so every book that came out in... <clears throat> 2015 of let me rephrase every star wars book that came out in 2015 every single book (laughs) every single one one was history textbooks he bought um those two that everything in there 
<laughs> Everything was leading to Force Awakens. All of it. Um, <laughs> no, it. Um, so every every Star Wars book that came out in 2015, because that was the first time that we had new canon material, uh, with the exception of Star Wars Rebels, which came out in 2014. Um, every book that was coming out in that year, the big kind of uh, t- tag seems kind of like the odd, like an odd term, but basically like the big the big draw. Okay, excuse me. The big draw was that every book was going to have some kind of secret or something hidden in it that was going to lead to the force to something in the force awakens um it could be a random character could be a a battle that we get alluded to later in the film or something like that lost stars was really interesting because of course the big thing for a lot of people is lost stars uh, because it's on it's on the cover of the book even on like the like the back part of the book, which I feel like if, if we talk to Claudia, he might actually be a little bit upset about that. Um, all of it is leading up to the Battle of Jakku, um, which is, of course, where Rey is at the beginning of Force Awakens, the sunken Star Destroyer, the AT-AT that's fallen over. All of that um, is what this book is leading up to at the end. So that part was kind of interesting of knowing kind of where it was ending, but what really surprised me was that the core aspect of the story is about two young children, Thane. I'm gonna go with Thane Carell. Uh, are we okay with that? With that pronunciation of his last name, Al? Yeah, yeah, that sounds fine. Okay. Um, the only reason I know the, and I know the other one for a fun reason we'll talk about later, but it's uh, Sienna Ree. I said Sienna for about the first 200 pages, but there's a point where. Uh, one of the guys says it rhymes with this, and it's I can't remember what it is. It's like Lyhenna or something. So I was like, okay, cool. Anyways. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you see these two children who are growing up basically in the shadow of the Empire. I, I can't remember the exact timeline, but it's something to the effect of like five years after the Empire has started. Revenge of the Sith, everything has started. Um, their planet basically gets taken over. Yeah, they're, uh, yeah, they're um, on their planet um, is colonized by the Empire when they're eight years old, I believe. Yeah. So they each grow up wanting to be part of the Imperial Academy, and then they do. And then following that, we get a really interesting story into different ideals of the two different characters. Um, one of them joins the Rebellion. One of them stays as an Imperial. And then basically the entire story of the original trilogy happens through the eyes of characters we didn't even see, um, which I love, by the way, for for anyone who um, who has been making the comments of, you know, I mean, of course, I'm doing this as recording as of recording this. It's like three day, two or three days after Andor came out. But I know there were a lot of people who were like, oh, they should move away from the Skywalker saga, not focus on any of the Jedi or anything like that. Do stuff. There's other parts of star Wars. That's where this book comes in. In my opinion, um, this is a perfect book for anyone who's like that and wants to see something a bit further away from the Skywalker saga. Um, because although it is what is clearly happening is the framing device. It's really interesting to see the battles of the rebellion versus the empire through the eyes of people who are, not our main heroes. So not, you know, Darth Vader, Luke, Leia, Han. It's it's all through people who their lives have been 
irrevocably changed by the fallout from the Clone Wars and the rise of the Empire in general. So, and I, I just, I really like that framework. It's really interesting. And yeah, I'm not going to spoil any more. If there's anyone who has not read this and wants to read it, from here on out, it's going to be all spoilers. So yeah, but it's really, really good. You all have to check it out. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, to reiterate uh, what Jacob has said, um, from here on out, this is going to be um, complete um, spoiler talk. Um, it's really tough to talk about um, how good this book is without going into spoilers. So, um, so um, here is your here is your sign to hit pause on this on this bad boy of a podcast episode. Uh, go read um, all 550 pages of this book and then come <laughs> back <laughs> and then come back. Do it all like in one in one swift go um, and then come back and join us. But um, um, faster than I thought it would, by the way. I'm it, sorry. Which actually went faster than I thought it would, by the way. When when it when it first said five, when it said five fifty, I was like, oh crap! I don't know if we I don't know if we could have picked this one, <laughs> but it yeah. it reads really quickly. Yes, uh, I don't know if that's it's a good point. or not. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I do want to encourage people. Um, don't let the size of the book, uh, because it it does appear rather chunky. Um, don't let the size of the book um, intimidate you in any way because um, it's a very easy read and um, I have the paperback of it and um, and like it's on the framework of it as far as like the pages go um, are laid out in a way where like the paragraphs are pretty condensed and like there aren't like the words themselves don't take up 100% of the page like a lot of books do. So, like, it, it's technically, like, 550 pages. It feels, like, about, like, 350. So I don't want that to, like, um, intimidate anybody when you see this on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Um, however, all that being said, um, Jacob, you have it exactly right. Um, I, I understand the sentiments of a lot of people who have said over the years, you know, like, uh, um, the galaxy is, like, a very big place. Um, I like to see, like, other stories about other characters um, and how they um, interpret events, the adventures they go on, and things like that. Um, I understand where that's coming from, for sure. Um, I love the core cast of characters in Star Wars as much as anybody does, but um, I do understand uh, that desire to kind of explore other areas of the galaxy, explore other characters, and, and like... Um, it gives Star Wars a chance to feel a lot more, um, um, a lot more robust um, than sometimes it does when it um, does kind of focus on the same smaller cast of characters. So I understand that entirely. And um, as Jacob said, like this is, if that's what you want, this is a great place to start, um, um, because there are like small cameo appearances by some bigger characters uh, throughout the story. But um, they don't stay around very long. They don't play very big roles. Um, they're usually around for like a couple pages at most um, to just kind of like add flavor and scale to what's going on. Um, but like the vast majority of the book is just like brand new characters. You get to explore new perspectives and experiences. Um, so it really hits the spot for what I think a lot of people are wanting from Star Wars. 
Now, the other important thing I think uh, Lost Stars brings uh, to the Star Wars table, uh, um, and Jacob, I'll let you talk about this a bit, is that um, in a lot of ways, this is one of the few times with Star Wars stories that we kind of see things from the Empire's view and perspective, right? This is the first time that the galactic civil war um, that we really uh, get the chance to hear how the Imperial side talks about the events and talks about the wars and get to hear some of um, some of the propaganda and some of the arguments and some of the rationalizations that are used in the Imperial side. Um, so Jacob, I'm going to ask you as a longtime Star Wars fan who is used to like um, kicking back with the rebellion and, um, and and cheering on your favorite heroes from the New Republic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to ask you, how was how did you find the experience of going through a story um, where repeatedly for at least the first half, probably closer to the first like 60, 65% of the book, where you're really just seeing events unfold from um, essentially the bad guy's perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> one of the one of the few things that this book really impressed me with is that in a lot of ways it does almost what Rogue One wants to do with the idea of saying, you know, that, you know, there's good and bad on both on, on the rebellion as well as the empire, you know, and stuff like that. Um, and may, and kind of making the statement of kind of more gray areas within the rebellion with, you know, Cassian, uh, just offing that one dude right in the beginning of rogue one and things of that nature. To me, those themes are handled in my opinion, way better in this book. Now, obviously Claudia Gray has the, um, has the fortune of having multiple pages and chapters to devote to it as opposed to a two hour movie, which has to kind of move along. But this book nails everything about what, what it actually meant growing up in the empire. Um, because one of my thoughts has, has always been, you know, as I've gotten older, uh, of, one of my thoughts has always been, well, why would someone join the empire? Why would someone be a part of it? Um, and the, the danger is, is that a lot of times it looks a bit more eerily like, uh, some, some real world kind of situations where we start believing in a certain ideology or we start hearing a certain ideology so much that we do believe in it. And then we start believing in it so much that it becomes our, our entire personality and who we truly are. And because of that, we, even with ter- terrible things are happening, you know, if uh, the per- the perfect example of this is when Alderaan blows up in, in this book, which is a, a stunning scene when it, from the, from the framework that Claudia writes with, um, because one of the, because the first thing that happens is we see it through the eyes of Sienna. And the first thing she says is she's tr- is it's her attempt to rationalize the the destruction of an entire planet, and effectively she says they did this to stop the war from happening because and 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 she says something to the effect of like Alderaan was funding the the rebellion, 
So by doing this, the rebellion will just end before it starts, and then we'll be good to go. Basically, just the empire will rule for the, for all time. Now everything is going to be fine. We lost one planet. We lost billions of lives. That sucks, but we can go on and we can make the galaxy a better place now. Obviously, that is an awful way to think. But what's so interesting is how the way it's written, you you at the very least understand where her mindset is coming from because that's the entirety of her belief system. The entirety of her belief system at this point is that the Empire is so perfect and so and so well balanced that they couldn't do something evil like this. They could not do something just out of pure hatred and rage. And and honestly, the way that Tarkin kind of talks about it in in New Hope in in a New Hope in general, uh something that's kind of nonchalantly just being like, oh let's blow up a planet. You know, that that's that's something that's always kind of kind of been wild to me is the is the idea of evil just being such a simple act to certain people within within these films um so so yeah you know just being able to look into that mindset of beyond the the pure animosity of the empire and look into the people who grew up in it and have rationalized it and moralized it within themselves that was a really interesting concept, and I'm really glad that she was not only chose to focus on it like that, but also did it so elegantly. Because in a in a lesser writer's hands, you you have something that's not nearly as complex as this, and it absolutely deserves to be as complex as it is. Yeah, um, it it um, I think that the thought that kept coming to mind as I was reading this book is that is was the simple thought of I think this is the best written Star Wars book I've ever read yeah Um, Yeah. (laughs) and and the reason for that there's um there's honestly a bunch of reasons for that which like I'm sure we'll get into um, there's a lot of kind of um, boxes that Claudia Gray checks off that um, you kind of think about in terms of, you know, is a is this a good book or not? Um, and she does a really great job of taking off um, those boxes very adequately. But one of the main things that stuck out to me that caused me to think that so often while reading it is that one of the hardest things to pull off well when it comes to writing a story or telling a story is to is to cause your audience to wrestle with really uncomfortable things right um and like because you don't want to go way too hard because that will chase everybody off and detach Mm -hmm. people very much from the story that you're telling but you also don't want to like skirt over things because then like the story you're telling will feel very shallow and disingenuous and what claudia gray does really really well is setting things up gradually and 
doing the hard work of explaining where each character is coming from so that when these really huge events happen, um, they're super uncomfortable, but they're uncomfortable in a way that forces you to really think about them. It kind of invites you to analyze and scrutinize these things that for a lot of years, all of us have kind of taken for granted. Um, you know, when Alderaan is destroyed in A New Hope, like, that is that is meant to just be like, oh, hey, these guys are the bad guys. They just blew up a, <laughs> they just blew up a planet <laughs> with billions of people on it. Like, these guys are the bad guys, right? And, like, we've kind of taken for granted that that's what that is. That is an establishing shot, um, essentially. <laughs> to establish the story of just like okay these are the guys you don't root for um but um to take it in a direction and again um to do the groundwork of building up these characters so that you have the perspectives of hyena who whose culture on her planet is all about like honor and honoring and following your oath and being loyal to the people you've pledged your loyalty to, um, to Thane being somebody who already has a natural tendency under question authority and to be very cynical towards anything that is, is too big or too authoritative to Nash, who's like from Alderaan, who, who is kind of like, swept up in all of like the the pragmatism and like um the imperial propaganda and like the promises they make and having all of those perspective those perspectives kind of converge on this thing where it's just like oh alderaan just got destroyed like now this doesn't feel like just an establishing shot to say hey these are the bad guys now this is treated as a really uncomfortable question of, of you know, hey, the bad guys who did this horrible thing, there's a chance that they're, they actually consist of people who didn't want this to happen. Mm-hmm. So how does that change how we view the Empire now? Because if the Empire is more than just, hey, it's... Um, it's Darth Vader and it's Palpatine and it's Thrawn and Harkin and all these elite brass, like that's the Empire, then understanding the conflict is really easy now. But when it becomes like, hey, it's all these top guys, but if the Empire is really the sum of its parts, then it's also these people who are really uncomfortable with this. Um, And it's also these people who have been who have been um, honestly groomed by the Empire mm-hmm. to rationalize this. Um, and and then Claudia Gray also very expertly kind of flips that on its side now too, because, hey, um, you know all of these characters who like you've grown to really be invested in, who you've spent um, and shared these uncomfortable experiences and thoughts and rationalizations with, you know all of them now? Um, now, Luke Skywalker is going to kill half of them. 
(laughs) (laughs) So now that's where you are. So now you have even more uncomfortable thoughts and decisions you have to make Mm -hmm. about this story that you've taken for granted for so long. Um, And it's these these very often populating um, um, scenes and moments of discomfort where I was just like, this is, this is a fantastic book mm. uh, because I don't think I've ever been so uncomfortable in my understanding of Star Wars conflict than I am right now when I'm reading this book. Um, but yeah, so, um, and we can talk about just that aspect for hours and hours and hours. But um, I don't want to shortchange in any way. Um, Probably the thing that Claudia Gray um, does um, the best in this book, which is saying something because she does a lot of things really well. But what she probably does uh, the best out of anything is she makes characters that we can get invested in. Um, and the two um, sh- sh- shining stars of that, if you will, <laughs> um, are Thane Carell um, and Sayonari. Um, now, Jacob, I'm going to give you a choice here. I'm going to present to you a couple pathways you can go down, mm. um, just as has been presented to our protagonists in this book as well. Um, at various points. <laughs> um, I'm going to give you um, the pretty tough choice here. Um, who would you say you identified with um, the most? Would you say you identified with Thane more or Ayanna more? And then do me a favor and talk a little bit about why. So... <clears throat> It's interesting because if you had asked me probably four, three or four years ago, um, I would have said this Thane immediately, okay? Because because Thane does get to be the the kind of more rebellious one, <laughs> and uh, he is <laughs> the one that that hates you know the authoritarian figures and all that and everything. And I I would say, well, I wanted to be that, okay. The danger of becoming someone like Sienna Ree is what terrifies me, I mean, a decent amount of my time, okay? And so I'm going to say Sienna Ree, and I'll explain a little bit more why. So, because <clears throat> it was piggybacking off of what, what we talked about, what we were already talking about with the difficulty of what how Claudia writes and everything. It is terrifying to think of believing in something so wholeheartedly that you don't realize the things it's actually doing. I don't want to make this into a political statement or even a religious statement, but one of the things that a lot of people screw up with, with their belief systems in life is they're not willing to attempt to challenge themselves. And that's really not even in just belief systems. That's also in just in your yourself in general. Mm. If if you are not willing to constantly look at things and 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 you know kind of check yourself, like not not even not don't have self doubts or anything, but like at the same time, if you're not willing to look at something and say, "Why do I do this?" 
and is it a good thing and is it a positive impact on not only my life but the people around me if you are not willing to do that that is how you end up well thematically serving the empire <laughs> um, because the thing is and you, and you talked about the grooming aspect and and i don't I don't want to say that and say because I, I can't say the Cyana is an evil person. I, I can't. I, I physically cannot. Um, I can't even say that he's a bad person, but I can say that he is someone who who is willing to stand aside while these horrible things are happening around her. Um, one of the saddest parts of the book is because the the book does not end happily. It just a heads up on that. Like it <laughs> it ends with it, it ends with, with you thinking, okay, well maybe in a few years things will be better, but it does not really have a happy ending. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we're gonna talk about the ending. And, and <laughs> I know, I, that, that's the annoying part is I'm, I'm like I really I just want like four more chapters. I don't really need a Lost Stars too. I just want four more chapters, Claudia. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, <clears throat> but the thing about the, what's so tragic about Cyanna is that by the time she finally realizes everything that she's done, she's almost so old and so corrupted by it that instead of saying that instead of being in the mindset of I want to do something better with my life, it's honestly just kill me, like I'm I'm done, and and that's. That is such a tragic thought process, just just in general, but even more so to have those thoughts in the sense of I have done nothing with my life, and my life has been nothing but but leading more people into either death or destruction of other things. And that is a tragic thought. And that's the that's the ultimate, you know, terrifying thought that I had while reading this. You you talked about being uncomfortable. I I was honestly more uncomfortable with that aspect of of Sienna being a genuinely good person and wanting to do good things, or at least I think being a genuinely good person, at least to me, but at the same time serving something that is so inherently awful and not even necessarily realizing that while she's doing it. That's the and, – and, and because she is justifying it within herself because that's what she's been taught to do because of the propaganda – the imperialist machine and everything that has gone on within the gal excuse me within the galaxy that is the that is why i identify closer with cyana mainly because i identify more with her from a a fearful standpoint of she is what i fear anyone has the capacity to become mm-hmm. um I know it's i know it's been in other things but the first one i think of is castlevania where um uh, Trevor says, um, for evil bastards to take control, all good men have to do is stand aside. And that's exactly what Sienna exemplifies, is that she is a decently good person, but because she is willing to rationalize the things that are happening around her and because she's willing to step aside, all these terrible things are happening. Um, the first one, the, uh, just can, excuse me, I don't mean to... to reiterate a point so much but i my favorite moment of this is when she really starts to think differently about the empire um and it's a tra- it's a tragic scene but it's when they're in it's when they're in empire strikes back because after like the first like 200 pages you can almost start saying okay what movie are they in <laughs> um because um, it's it's when they're in empire strikes back and it's when 
the uh, the executor, the the star destroyer that Darth Vader uh, Darth Vader is on, is chasing after the Millennium Falcon in the asteroid field, and <clears throat> they have um, they have four Tie Fighters that are supposed to go after her, which you see in the film. By the way, uh, you 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 watch this all happen from a very different perspective with John Williams's. Sweeping score behind it. Um, <laughs> um, but what's happening is Sienna is basically in charge of basically being what it's not technically that in the Star Wars, uh, in the Star Wars lore, but what we would know as ground control for, for airplanes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a really interesting aspect and something. Another thing I love about this book and a lot of the newer canon stuff is how they've really gone into fleshing out the universe around them. And I'm not going to, I don't want to get off on a tangent, but I really like that aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's basically talking to the four different TIE fighters and he's, he has this fear that they, because TIE fighters have no shielding. That's, that is well known, even just watching the movies. And, you know, when we watch the movies, we're like, Oh, well, TIE fighters just kind of are weak. No, it's not really that they're weak. It's that they're so focused on speed and, and, uh, firepower that they have no shielding whatsoever. Um, he is so nervous that any four of these people could die. One of which he knows by name that he is pleading with Admiral Piet and Darth Vader to, you know, can we bring them back in? Can we, you know, since we're, since we're going to be following them anyways, we know where they're in the asteroid field. We know where they're at. Can we bring these tie fires back in? And when it's so – it's awful because they make the call to bring the last two in after the two of them have already died to the asteroids. Um, and as she is calling them back, they get hit by another asteroid, and she has to listen to them die basically. And that is the moment that she because, – because it's a waste ultimately. Like it means – you know, the she even says something to the effect of like the asteroids mean nothing to the Star Destroyers because they can take multiple hits and everything. But to someone out there just in a TIE fighter, you know, effectively the, the Starfighter equivalent of like, you know, a, a beetle, um, you know, they're, it, it, a, single, a single rock is going to take them out entirely. And it's – it's so beautifully written, but also so tragically written that that's the moment that she's like that. I will never hear that man's voice again, which never thought I would read that in a Star Wars novel, <laughs> um, you know, but, but Claudia Gray, that's, that's what you think. You're like, oh, it's a it's going to be a fun little Star Wars novel. going to, you know, maybe have some force, maybe talk about the Jedi a little bit. Nope, we're just we're going right into the, the horrors of war. And I and straight <laughs> in. hope you're ready, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, that's so. Sienna is the person that I, from a fearful aspect, I, I identify more with. I would obviously want to say I'd be more like Thane, but I think, I think the danger for humans in general is that we often, a lot of times, can some of us can identify more with Sienna. Um, it's easier to identify with Sienna in that sense. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was a great exploration of her character and really of. Uh, of a lot of like the real things that uh, Lost Stars is really about. Um, yeah, I will say that my absolute favorite part of your answer is when you t- 
took a quote by John Stuart Mill and attributed it um, to Trevor Belmont. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, I could not think of the original quote, but I knew the first time I heard it was in Castlevania. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, and, and as we, and as we all know, in the wise words of the father of, of utilitarian philosophy, Trevor Belmont, he said, <laughs> he said <laughs> "That was great. That was my favorite part." My favorite part of your answer. That's, that's what you get here on Phantom Talk of the EU or EU Review. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, no, no, that's a great answer, though. Um, and um, I'm glad you went with her. Uh, because I was prepared to talk about her if you hadn't, but um, um, I will say throughout the book there were a lot of scenes and moments where I felt that I identified um, a lot more with Thane, um, and not in any way of the heroism <laughs> that he has. Um, I I felt very much um, uh, very easily identified uh, with Thane where um, the a big difference between him and Sienna and one of the reasons that um, they complement each other so well and feel a draw to each other so much in my opinion is the ideologies and the philosophies and the cultural backgrounds that they have. Um, um, Thane from the very beginning is way more cynical about things, is way more skeptical of of figures in 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 power in leadership roles. Um, um, on either side, he's he's skeptical of of the government on his planet. He's skeptical of the empire. He's skeptical of, of the rebellion and like. Uh, whatever the future holds of the New Republic. Um, and then, like, we explore his character a bit more, and, you know, he he's the kind who kind of, like, rolls his eyes at the ideas of the Force, of fate and destiny and things like that. And as I read it, I felt so drawn to this character who wants so intensely to believe in something. Um that won't let him down um and on the fact that like gradually he he pursues that um in various things you know he he pursues that in like the freedom that being a starfighter um in the empire um offers him um he pursues that in his relationship with hyena he he pursues that in in the various crews he joins up with and eventually with the rebellion um, and um, how that how that natural tendency to to question things and to be skeptical um, of those above him um, in power, um, and how it's a blessing because it allows him to very to very um, a lot more quickly. Um, see through the lies and see through the propaganda of the empire, um, but how often he uses it as well as kind of a shield um, to to prevent himself from getting too close to people um, and and constantly not 
having anything he really, really follows and believes in. Um, and how there's a struggle there and how gradually we begin to see him grow in that, but not do a total 180 on it. Um, but like that fact almost makes his journey a lot, a lot more um, believable as well, uh, because uh, when the story ends, he's kind of, he's kind of in between. He's kind of like, well, you know, I think there is potential for good things to come out of the Republic. Um, I think there could be something to be said for, um, you know, these fantastical situations that uh, we're finding ourselves in. But, you know, I still don't know. And I still am, am going to find my cause and my purpose in on the people around me rather than in any huge thoughts or institutions. Um, and I thought that made him a really, really interesting character. Um, that even, even through it all, even after the war, he's still kind of like cautiously optimistic about the future. Um, I thought that was really, really um, interesting and really um, kind of a relatable character aspect of his um, for uh, for where a lot of us are now. Um, that was really interesting. But um, now, um, gosh, there's so much to talk about in this book. It's crazy. <laughs> uh, there's so much to talk about in this book. Um, uh, before uh, we move on um, and talk about the ending, because I think the ending is really worth talking about. Mm. Um, I want to talk about something that, that both of us have kind of touched upon already. Um, and I'm going to throw you kind of um, kind of a big prompt. Um, in what ways, um, and personally speaking, just for me, I don't know anything about Claudia Gray as an individual, I don't know any of her views. I don't know any, like, I don't know how she votes. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how she sends like her donations to charities. I don't know anything about her, um, <laughs> which I kind of prefer in some ways. But um, um, what ways uh, did you see the events of this book kind of translate to real world themes that people are able to kind of identify and relate to. Um, uh, because that is something that a lot of Star Wars stories, they have the essential classic struggle between the light and the dark and the good and evil and things like that. But where Lost Stars really gets into the itty gritty of those gray areas, um, was there anything in particular uh, that kind of struck you about like, um, wow, I can, I can see a real world kind of parallel to this or, um, or anything like that. Okay. So yeah, that is a very tough one to answer. Um, okay. Um, well, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> The, the thing is, and it's the reason I mentioned Sienna and why I kind of identify with her in certain ways, because a lot of times what has happened to me over the last couple of years and what has happened, 
to a lot of people that I've seen uh, on both sides of this of this question, good and bad. Um, for those of you who do not know, I live in a state that is that is directly in the Bible Belt. Okay, so that means that we have a lot of people who are, you know, born and raised in Christian churches and things like that. Um, <clears throat> Raised to believe certain ways. Um, everyone has certain people in their family who also have certain views about minorities and different things like that. Um, and what has happened for a lot of people I grew up with, a lot of different people, we, we have some who all of a sudden they start believing basically the exact same things that their parents taught them, for better or worse. But then you also have a, have a certain group of people who have also moved so far moved so far away from the way that their parents taught them um, that they are almost completely they are night and day. Once again, could also be for better or for worse. Um, Lost Stars definitely definitely touches on that. Especially, I, th- I think Th- you mentioned Thane and how you uh, how he really has no kind of no love whatsoever and no no trust in any kind of authoritative figure and that starts because of his father um it's a subtle thing that claudia talks about but it is definitely there because even to the point where it's like if he died his parents wouldn't even care um which is tragic but because of that, and because of that's where it starts, and because of the starting of the raising of, of who he is as a person, that's what kind of leads him to basically latch onto the first thing he's ever truly trusted, which in this case was Sienna, which also then led him to trust in the Empire for a decent amount of time. But of course, the, the first moment that something even similar to the way his raising happened with his father, he immediately starts to turn away from it. And then gradually it just keeps going and going where he's just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I think that a lot of people I grew up with have had similar thoughts about the ways that they were raised. Because the thing is, is that once you get out into the real world and you get out away from the teachings of, you know, four or five different people, depending on, you know, your your parents, uh, aunts, uncles, older siblings, you know, take your pick of people who are telling you similar things. You get out and you see the real world for something different. And then you have this terrifying moment where you have to start making your own choices and you have to start realizing what do you truly believe in. You know, um, faith and belief without challenges are just pretty thoughts when it really comes right down to it. And if you don't know why you believe in something, you don't know why you're trusting in something, then there's really nothing to it, is there? With these characters and a lot of the things that they talk about in this and also in the real world, they have to make decisions that are going to irrevocably affect people around them for the rest of their lives, pretty much. And, you know, it's kind of, it's weird, it's probably weird for some people to hear that and start thinking about their own lives like that, but honestly, it's true. You know, because you're, I'm kind of getting off on a tangent, and I apologize for that, but when it comes right down to it, 
every single mo every single action that you take is going to affect the world some way. Even if it's something as simple as, you know, choosing to choosing to sit to be kind to someone that you see at at a grocery store or at a or at a restaurant or something like that. How you act towards someone else is going to affect their day for better or worse. You don't know what kind of day they're having. They could be having they could be having a day where they are considering make and they're considering making very very bad decisions when they get home and you could be the one person that sent them over the edge yeah i know that kind of sucks and that's kind of heavy but it's a possibility and people don't think about stuff like that and i don't know because of that those kinds of thoughts and those kinds of fears of of choosing to do the right thing even if you have so many people telling you to do things in another way, that's what really makes not only these characters, but also makes us who we are. So for me, the, that's the one thing that I see in this book that really, that really mirrors the real world in a lot of ways is that these characters have to start making decisions when they're ultimately finally on their own. They're away from their parents. They're and Thane especially is is away from the from the life that he was raised up in, and he has to start making better decisions. But even when he makes those better decisions, you know he's he's trying to do he's trying to do better, but it doesn't always work out that way. The a, a really good moment for this, and something that's really brought home to him as a person. Um, is when he's on Hoth. I, I, I don't know why. Apparently, the Empire Strikes Back moments were just were really poignant to me. Um, but when it's he's on, <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> I mean, it's a good movie. It is a good movie. Yeah. Um, when he's on Hoth, before he uh, gets in a snowspeeder, the first thing he's supposed to do is supposed to let all the Tauntauns loose, um, so that way they don't uh, basically starve in their pens pretty much whenever the, whenever the rebellion leaves, which honestly I was happy to, I was happy to see that included, you know, never, really good to the, never really thought about what happened to the Tauntauns after, after the battle of Hoth, but yeah, no, I like that. And, don't uh, you, and now don't you feel awful for having not ever considered the Tauntauns? <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> I absolutely do. Um, but no, so the little, the Tauntauns loose, but who is he with? If no one else but Dak Router, which most people have no idea who that is. But anyways, um, <laughs> so Dak ends up being Luke's gunner um, during the Battle of Hoth. So the guy who is right behind him while he's finding the snowspeeder and the, the man who unfortunately gets shot and then is killed. Um, but before before he, he goes and becomes Luke's gunner, um, Thane is talking to him and Dak is very, he's very idealistic and, and, and very, uh, not, not, excuse me, not idealistic, uh, very optimistic, excuse me, and very, very hopeful about, you know, we are doing the right thing. We're taking down the empire and just we're, everything's going to work out just the way it needs to. Okay. That's his mindset, which once again, Claudia Gray, as not only is she a great writer, but also is very clearly, you know, someone who really pays attention to every amount of source material that she has in the movies. Because, of course, the first time you see Dak, he's like, I feel like I could take on the entire Empire by myself, you know, and he's just he's really just 
boisterous and out there. And of course, then unfortunately he gets shot. Um, but there's a moment where Thane is talking is he has an inner monologue where he's basically just like, God, I do not want to hear about how happy these people are to, you know, effectively not, not only, you know, are, are, do we really know who we're serving because of the, if we don't know who the higher ups of the rebel Alliance really are, or if they're actually any better than the empire themselves, but also are we really going to be so happy about killing people who could be just like us if they were raised in a different way. He doesn't really say that, but that is the overarching mindset throughout the entire book. Um, but even at that point, he sees Dak and he sees how Dak is just, you know, like he just he his his entire face basically just drops, you know, and and Thane's like. Or Thane says something to the effect of, you know, I, I heard Luke was talking about how, how good you were yesterday or, or something like that. Um, some of that effect where he's like, you know, I've heard that they actually, they want you to, you know, really work your way up in here, Dak. And I think you're going to do great things here. Um, and then, of course, right after that, he gets told that he's going to be Luke's gunner, which, I mean, you get to be the gunner for Luke Skywalker, the guy who blew up the Death Star. I mean, that's it's pretty big, you know. Um but that kind of moment right there where we get to see the change in Thane, we get to see him kind of grow up in that sense of he's thinking about someone uh, someone else's feelings besides his own in the sense of how he's speaking to someone. That right there is how it really mirrors our real world, in my opinion. Um, and this idea of the things that I do affect the people around me, and I need to focus more on that. That's that's to me how how it mirrors a lot a lot of the things that we see in our everyday life. Nice. Um, yeah. Well, that was a very that was a very wholesome answer to um, a very rough um, prompt um, a question. Well, I commend you on that um, for sure. Um, um, that's a very good um, analysis of the material. Um, I'm going to. Talk about um, imperialism and colonization. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, See, so, I kind of would, so I was kind of like, well, we don't want to talk about the same thing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we've talked a little bit about how, um, how really at the heart of this story, um, I, I mean, it's a tragedy. It's a very, it's a very tragic story overall. Um, and all of these characters um, um, are very tra tragic characters in a, in a lot of way. And um, as you've already said, um, Jacob, um, Hyena Ree is probably the most tragic character in this whole story. Uh, because um, what we see in Cyana um, going um, even past... Um, her kind of corruption and her hollowness and her jadedness um, on on her individual scale. Um, another thing that we see is the empire slowly eroding her home and her culture and an entire planet's way of life through colonization. Um, that's something that's kind of 
skimmed over a bit in like the films and things like that. Um, because again, the films are discussing this very grand scale um, kind of conflict. But um, it's explored a bit more in the shows and in the comics and in the books um, that when the Empire shows up um, to a planet, the people of that planet have a wide array of reactions to this, right? Some are very hopeful for the order and the resources and um, like the possible like industrialization, um, the positive changes that the Empire may be able to bring. Um, some of them are very wary. Some of them are are outright um, are revolted by the presence of the Empire. But what we see time and time again is the Empire um, is constantly trying to genocide the culture of these planets, right? So every time Sienna has a discussion uh, with someone from the Empire, uh, with a superior officer, and she brings up a cultural tradition or a belief that she carries over from her home world, um, um, that Imperial official without fail um, is very disapproving of that. Um, case in point, uh, we talked a little bit about how these Imperial cadets, how they're basically groomed for service and loyalty to the Empire. Um, as soon as they get sent to the school that trains the officers um, uh, for the Empire, one of the main things that they push, uh, which is very um, cultish, if you will, is that like, hey, hey, you all aren't from your planets anymore, okay? You've like lost those identities now. Now you are citizens of the Empire, and the Empire is the only thing that's important as far as who you are and where you come from. And it's a really aggressive way of stripping the cultural value and cultural beliefs and everything about their cultural identity from these places that they invade. Um, this strikes home for me as somebody who's um, surprisingly recent um, ancestors in my family um, went through these assimilation schools that um, Native Americans endured um, um, in our country's history. Um, this struck me as being particularly relevant, not to put too much of a date on this episode, but um, uh, the Queen of England recently died. And um, a lot of the media about it has been very much, you know, oh, look at all of look at all of the people who are gathered who say goodbye at her casket, and look at her dogs outside of outside of the palace out there to say goodbye, and it's all a beautiful thing, um, ignoring the fact that um, her legacy and her history that she inherited and continued is one of imperialism and one of of a a national behavior 
to strip cultural values away from the areas that they have colonized and and attempted to indoctrinate. Um, and there should be there should be a discrepancy there. Um, um, there should be some uneasy feelings about this person who sure was here for a long time, um, but was either directly or indirectly responsible for a lot of damage to the very identities that people groups had and how they and how they lived and understood their own lives. Um, and I think that aspect of what it means for the empire to exist um, is really important because we see real life examples of that all around us. Some are historical examples, some are going on right now. Um, but it's important that when we think of a person that we think of them in all of the ways that they exist and to see the gradual erosion of their cultural values and identities is is a crime it's a heinous horrific thing um, that happens all too often and so that was just one of the things that kept coming to mind whenever i read a Iana chapter is just on the empire's um, desire and constant efforts to just erode away any form of identity that she had that was not just you are a servant of the empire um, and that is really something we need to be wary of um, all around us in today's world um, now i know that was really heavy i know that was uh those were some big words i know <laughs> i know everybody listening to this is just like just like you know oh wow man i, I love star wars um, at one point al, al was talking about how how awful the dead queen is but um it's <laughs> but it's fine um it's really cool so we'll get back to fun star wars stuff but um you know i do think i do think there's value in talking about uh how these things are reflective of real life um not to draw um entire equivalencies to things but um it's good to think about on occasion um now, I do want to talk about, we've uh, referenced it a couple times, um, the ending of this book. Um, I still stand by the idea that this book, um, at its core, is a tragedy. Um, and its ending, while not the most tragic ending it could have had, um, is a little hard to swallow. Um, so, Jacob, um, I'll pass it over to you. Um, I've heard the sound of my own voice enough now. Um, how would you, yeah, how did you feel? about the ending of the book. I'll go so, the last 40 pages of this book, I would say, okay, and, and, and once again, as we discussed earlier, that's not as long as you think. That's, no. I, I read that in, in about an hour, and I'm a slow reader. Um, but the reason I read that in about an hour is because Claudia Gray knows how to hype up, knows how to amp up the action. Like, it, you, and... That's not to say that he hadn't done it at all throughout the, through, throughout this uh, through, no, throughout this book. But in those last forty pages, I was like, "Oh God, are, is everyone going to die?" 
like or or, or or worse, is just one of them going to die, and then the other one has to live with that. Like that—that <laughs> that was where my mindset was. Um, but I think the moment that I realized truly how good this book was and how how it had affected me is when I was sitting in the break room at work. And I was supposed to clock out at 3.30. And um, I had to go tell my boss to clock me out at 3.30 because I looked up at one point and it was 3.43. And I had been reading the entire – I had not even noticed that people had left. I did not notice I was sitting in the break room by myself. It was this, that's how much this ending grabbed me. Um, and that is a testament to, because let me tell you, let me tell you guys, by about 2.15, really, let's face it, about an hour into work, I am ready to go. And I am looking for any exit I could possibly take, basically. Um, but for me to sit there, just enthralled with with this writing, you know, that's that's a testament to how good it is. Um, yeah, no, it's the, everything about the ending is probably one of the most, one of the most beautiful examples of foreshadowing in, in a book that I've ever, I've ever seen. Um, because there are two major things that affect the, this finale. Um, because as I said earlier, what happens is that it's on the battle of Jakku. And effectively, we are we are witnessing the Star Destroyer that Ray is going to go into uh, and scavenge uh, roughly 29 years later. Um, <clears throat> Sienna is the commander of the Star Destroyer. And Thane and his group are supposed to go in and uh, sabotage it, basically. And they are supposed to uh, shut off the self-destruct. So that way they can't the because the empire would obviously have them self destruct a ship before they let it get into the rebels' controls, um, because they are the absolute worst and they're, you know the the old uh, the old thought process of well, all the imperials are basically Nazis. Well, eh, it's it's not too far off in this book. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned the queen. I figured I'd go ahead and just mention Nazis in the podcast. So you know yeah, just yeah. just get <laughs> if. If we were making money off this, we get to demonetize so quickly. Anyways, um, <laughs> but um, so you see the scene where effectively Sienna has told everyone else to leave, all of the people under her command, because because Sienna once again is at her core a decent person, like a a good hearted person that wants people to live, um, no matter what the. Which is another interesting aspect of her character is that there are mul- there are two or three different moments where like she does a good and moral thing where she is saving someone's life, and the empire basically reprimands her for it, um, and she once again still has to have to re- have to rationalize that of why they would want that, why they would not care about civilians being saved. But that's a once again we talked way too much about that, anyways. Um, and I'm trying to focus on the ending. I apologize. I know I'm getting I'm going multiple different spots here. Uh, but so she tells everyone to leave and she does the self she does the self-destruct herself basically 
uh, and he's instead going to effectively scuttle the ship and just ram it right into the ground of Jakku um, and make it inoperable for any rebels to take anything from it. Thane hears her voice over the loudspeaker, and he's like, I can't, I cannot be the one to have left her here. Uh, I think there's even a point where he says, you know, we we were on opposite sides of a war. If he died or I died, what we would have to live with that. But I could not live with being the man who left her on the ship to die by herself, which is God. Um, just, <laughs> uh, it hits you. It hits you right there, you know. Um, but he runs to the he runs to the command deck of the ship, and you know he's he's put the blast doors up and everything. And he realizes that there's one single voice. There's like a voice activation switch, basically. And um, he realizes he's like, you know, there's only one thing that he would make that. Because earlier in the book, they had discussed how to properly um, abandon a ship, basically. And Sienna brings up this aspect of, you know, well, the way I would do it is I would uh, lock myself into the command deck and set it up to where there's only one word or one phrase that I would only know myself to basically stop uh, the self-destruct from happening. And Thane goes up there and he says the one phrase that he has said throughout this entire book, which is look through my eyes. And... When I realized both of the aspects of that, that, that look through my eyes, that, that phrase, which he has said the entire book uh, about her twin sister, um, and she has had this, uh, this, this identity within herself as being the one person that is living her life for someone else, basically. Living her life for her sister, who, who tragically died. Um, because everything's sad. Um, <laughs> when I realized that not only was that key word, that phrase, the key to everything on this finale, but also that we had already set up how she was going to, uh, how she was going to, um, how she was going to self-destruct the ship. I just I, I was floored. I was I was like, oh my! She literally set everything up for this finale, like three or four chapters in, basically. Like we we knew everything that was going to happen at this ending, right at the beginning of this book, pretty much. Um, and I just oh man, that was that part was just so good. But then you have this battle of wills between these two lovers, because because that's that's what they are at this point. They they are these two halves of a whole, because. Thane can't leave her, but Sienna wants to go down with the ship, but she doesn't want Thane to die with her. So you have, so it's almost it's almost the black the Black Widow Hawkeye scene from from Endgame, almost. Um, it's not it's not as bad. It's not as bad. Please, if Jenny ever listens to this, don't like come and like kill me. Um, but it's it's almost there where you have these two characters that they. It's it's all like it's 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 the classical protagonist antagonist aspect of you have two characters who want the same thing, but they both have different ways of going about it, um, and so for tw- for about twenty pages, you have this this chase scene basically between between Thane trying to get up there 
and then trying to get her into an escape pod. Which he finally does. And then there's a point where he's like, you know, maybe he he's even saying to himself, maybe I could believe in the force. Maybe something was actually leading us to being together, to me saving her life. The Empire is over. She has no she has nothing else holding her back from just living her life with me. And then the next thing you see is this squadron of New Republic people. And and and, and I don't want to say bad things about them because they're all people that you already know from the book. And I love <laughs> them all. Um, have you have you ever hated people from the from the New Republic so much, Jacob? I haven't. I really haven't. But like, but but it's it's like uh, it's it's like Yendor and Kendi. Like it's uh, it's people that we have already met like for the last like twenty chapters that are, are like like five or ten chapters that I really enjoyed and really liked them because they're all parts part of the uh, Corona Squadron, which is what which is the Squadron Thane's a part of. Um, but they put her in shackles because you know. Yeah, she is a high-ranking imperial official at this point, um, and you know, and then Thane realizes he didn't save her; he just sent her to prison, basically. Which I, I I almost had the same reaction that Bradley Cooper does in Silver Linings Playbook when he reads The Sun Also Rises. It was it was very close. Uh, or uh, uh, Farewell to Arms, excuse me, Farewell to Arms. Um, <laughs> But it was it was very close. I almost just wanted to to throw it out the window and just go and scream at someone. Um, but I was like, well, fortunately, I get to do it on a podcast, so I, I can yeah. I can wait for the screaming later. Um, <laughs> but no, so so then you get this this kind of. I'm assuming you want me to keep going and just go through the rest of the ending. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's fine. So then you get like this this really bittersweet discussion between these two. That's it's because it's a couple months later where basically, um, where Sienna's in prison and Thane's coming to see her. Um, and she finally agrees to see anyone else, but she finally agrees definitely to see Thane. And, um, <clears throat> you have this kind of this conversation between two people that want that once again were on different sides of a war when it comes right down to it. Um, there's even a point where Th- where Thane says something to the effect of like let's just let's just skip all the ideologies or or in so many words it's like let's skip all the ideologies because we each know what the other person is going to say when it comes to that um, and because his main focus at that point is just are you okay are they taking care of you um, and and he even says you know she's like I I expected torture I expected to be uh, treated poorly. The same way that all the imperial propaganda always said that I would, but instead they gave me medical treatment and they are, and I'm awaiting a trial. Yeah. And one of the things that Thane says, which does give you, it does give you hope because you do, you do have this hope. And it is, once again, it leads back to the main themes of this book, but it also gives me a new perspective and a new idea for how Star Wars, the, the logistics of the political side of Star Wars do do work because once the Death Star is destroyed, both times, uh, you still have people who are still loyal to the Empire. You still have people who are going to be captured and people who are, you know, because this uh, w- without without the mindset of the First Order ever rising up in the next thirty years after, you have this mindset of you know what happens to any of the Imperials now. Um, 
And sure, some people are going to remain loyal. Some people are going to say, you know, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to remain loyal to the empire and to what really should have been. And then, and they don't say this, but when, but effectively, when the first order rises up, I'm going to join them. But instead, Thane mentions this thing to her, where he's like, look. Not, he effectively says, you know, not every, what we've been saying is that not everyone who was part of the Empire really had a choice and not everyone really had a chance of being someone else or being something else. Um, so you kind of get this mentality where, like, maybe, just maybe, there will be a chance for Sienna to, you know, serve some kind of sentence or even whatever it is, you know, even if it's a small one or even if it's a longer one where eventually he will be able to get out and then start a new life with Thane. You know, and you get to, you get to think about that, hopefully. Um, and it ends with them doing the uh, the ending to uh, to Rathacon, uh, where they put their hands on, on the glass and everything. And, uh, and, and Claudia, being who she is, writes something to the effect of, you know, always together, but also always far apart. You know, and you're, and you're just like, God. Um, then you get... A like four page epilogue of the this this asshole Nash Winrider. Uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you there. Okay, you're gonna, okay you you want to take with that one? Okay, I'm stop you there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, T- take us home, Al. Nash yeah, Winrider. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so that was a great kind of summary of how it ends. Um. um um, it's a great ending. Um, as I said earlier, it's not as tragic of an ending as I thought we were going to get with how tragic this book is. Um, I'm about halfway through. I was con- halfway through this book. I was convinced. I was just like, one of them is going to accidentally kill the other, and they're going to have to live with that. And that's yeah. just how that's just how this is going to end. Like yep. I was convinced that that's what was going to happen. <laughs> um, but um. Um, it did not. Um, this is still a tragic ending. Um, it's an ending that I really, really love. Um, when I was reading the ending to this um, story, um, the thought I had was, um, boy, I bet you when Josh reads this, his first thought about the ending is going to be, boy, I bet Al really enjoyed this because Josh and I have talked a lot about how one of my biggest issues with the way that um, these equal films ended was that um, Hilo Ren or Ben Solo, however um, you prefer to think of him at that stage of the films, um, um, he died and that was the worst storytelling I've ever seen. Um, Because like, he, he has this redemption arc. He has this huge transformation of character that's taken a long, arduous time to get there. And then, boom, he's dead. And all of that feels very unsatisfactory. And on another scale, you, you don't... You skim over the complication of of what happens to the redeemed villain after the war's over, right? Um, so, like, with the end of Rise of Skywalker, you get to trot out of the 
you get to try it out of the theater and just be like, oh boy, Kylo Ren's dead. I'm glad we didn't have to handle the discomfort of him, you know, having an entire village executed at the beginning of episode seven um, <laughs> because he's dead and that will never come up again. Um, but the fact that Claudia Gray uh, did not take that hop out and was just like, no, we are going to address the fact that Ayanna Ree, as good a person as she is at her core, was instrumental in a lot of what the Empire did. Um, and and the New Republic is not the Empire, and there is this hope and optimism that they're going to give her a chance to, to help them, to help kind of like rebuild and recapture some of who she was um in a new context but um we are going to confront the fact that she is a complicated character and she is going to have to deal with the fact that um she she did some good things however she also served a purpose in a very awful institution in the empire i love that she embraced that ending instead of going the cop-out way of saying just like no everyone is gonna die and that way i don't have to deal with it um but now i wish i had been in the room with claudia gray and her editor and i imagine some kind of rep from disney as well where they were talking about this book and they were, and one of them said, I can't imagine this is the ending that Claudia Gray intended for this book. <laughs> because somebody in that room said, this is an incredibly beautiful, complex, tragic story about what happens when two people who are inseparable, who complete each other, find themselves at impossible odds with each other, separated by something so much greater than themselves. Um, we are going to end this with a character that nobody really enjoys uh, going on a four-page rant about how the South will rise again, and that's going to be the end of this book. <laughs> I, <laughs> I want so badly to have heard that conversation <laughs> because how they came to that conclusion <laughs> boggles my mind because this is like it these last five pages don't feel like they're from the same book they really like, don't <laughs> they don't feel like they should be anything it kind of lends itself to saying like ooh, there will there will be a lost stars too but like there's not and there's no indication that there's going to be no like and, and it, I, like, I don't want that like <laughs> I, I i really don't i i like the if, I almost would just be like, whatever they stop talking about Sienna and Thane, just stop reading. You don't need anything else. You know? Yeah, exactly. Like the the I would I have to imagine it was an editorial decision or an executive decision to throw in those last five pages because like ending on them having like the hand touch through the energy shield. 
and, and being so near but so impossibly far apart, having that be the ending of the book just, like, it writes itself. It makes all the sense in the world. But, like, instead you get this, like, weird impassioned speech by the one person in this story who should hate the Empire more than anybody because he saw them destroy his planet. Mm. Uh, and, like, I know it gets into, like, the brainwashing and, like, the propaganda and the grooming and stuff like that. Um, and Nash is a complicated character. But after everything that's happened through the other last 100 pages of this book, um, we're going to end with this, like, remnant of the Empire who, like, as far as I know, like, is not, like a huge player in like the formation of the first order or anything like that. Like I'd like, I've, I don't think I've encountered Nash in anything else. Like, um, it's just so, it's so weird. This, the last five pages of lost stars is what Josh claims, uh, the Darth Vader scene in rogue one is like, it's like the tone is completely off. It feels like it, completely undercuts what the themes are of the rest of the book and it's just it's just weird it's just so odd mm. it's, I, I don't know i don't know how to talk about it. it's just so it's so jarring there once again there's a possibility that like it was included to kind of hint towards something coming after the empire like it was to allude to the idea of like you said the 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 beginnings of the first order that being said <clears throat> you know if nash windrider's name was actually like you know uh hux's father or whatever whatever his his <laughs> he's not named hux's father but you know who i'm talking about like because it's yeah. whoever his father is it, it, uh, oh, papa hux yeah papa hux yes there you go yes if nash windrider was papa hux which i, I love um that would make more sense but having, but you know, with the with the gift of hindsight, seven years later, I have not heard a single bit about Nash Windrider since then. Um, and 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 here's the thing: if we can't get more uh, from Ray, Poe, and Finn, I really don't think we're gonna get any more from Nash Windrider either. So I could be wrong. For all for all I know, like two years from now, it's gonna be check out the Nash Windrider Disney Plus show or something like that. Um, or he's getting a comic miniseries or something. <laughs> like, as of right now, I don't think he's ever going to show up again, which is why these last five pages are so weird. Um, which, for the record, like, we are making the assumption that this is an editorial decision. For all I know, Claudia did want to include that as, like, once again, a, a bridge to something extra in The Force Awakens. It's really weird in hindsight um, because of, like you said, how well the ending scene with Sienna and Thane is that then it goes to the South will rise again, which, oh man, I'm going to laugh at that for a while. Um, but even, even if it, even if it wasn't, I mean, and even, <clears throat> even if it wasn't editorial decision, I mean, of course, Claudia as a, an exceptional writer still writes it well and it's still a very well done scene it's just it just feels like it should be in a completely different book or anywhere else in this book it feels like it should not be after that scene that that bittersweet scene between thane and cyana yeah. but yeah that's true if this if this scene had been 
placed in a different spot. Like if it had gone like um, their escape pod lands, Hyena is arrested, and then they had this scene, and then the ending is Thane visiting her in jail. Mm-hmm. Um, that I feel like would have made way more sense. Sure. And I feel like I'm pretty sure I'm pretty positive that Claudia Gray is like way better at structuring the um, a story than I am, which is why <laughs> I feel like this had to be like some kind of like editorial or like executive decision. That's why I said that. Um, because yeah, it's written really well. It's just the placement of it feels so contrary to to the rest of the story that she has written and structured up to that point. It's just so, it's so strange. Um, anyway. You, you honestly even could have, uh, if you cut it up a little bit, you could have done like their escape pod lands. You don't know what's happening to them. It cuts to that. And he talks about Sienna dying because, because honestly, here's the thing. I'm a level with you. They had talked about how she had like, like she had to have her like basically entire liver replaced or whatever after the battle of Endor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they've talked about how she's she's you know not really overtly healthy during the Battle of Jakku, and Thane had to hit her to knock her out so he could get her to the escape pod. Then the escape pod starts throwing her around. I I literally thought this at that point I was like, okay, it's gonna be it's gonna be a Gwen Stacy uh, scene. It's gonna be I tried to save her, but you know things happened to where I was unable to, you know, and that's I literally thought that's how it was gonna go. So if you put it right there. Then at that point you're like, oh my god, Nash is gonna like swear, uh, Nash is gonna swear like uh, vengeance on Thane and everything. But then, yeah, so, but yeah, that just, just yeah, it was odd. Um, anyway, to um, um, to kind of wind down, um, after we both got <laughs> just so excited about that ending, um, <laughs> to wind down a little bit, um. Um, I'm going to ask the age old question we ask at the end of all of these. And then I have one more question for the end mm. uh, because I'm going to be honest, um, Jacob, our listeners have probably arrived at the same conclusion. I think, um, I think you and I are going to be able to answer um, the grand Canon question pretty easily. Um, oh. <laughs> kind of feel uh, where we're heading with that. So um, I'll go ahead and ask you um, friend um, does lost stars by Claudia Gray. Does it fit? Um, does it earn its place into um, Jacob Vance Hardesty's grand canon of Star Wars stories? No. Yeah. No. Of course oh, it does. No. <laughs> um, no. I mean, like I was trying to. I was because I, obviously you know reading it for this, I knew that question was coming, and having something that goes concurrently along with films that have been you know that were made you know, forty years ago. I was trying to find things. I was like, okay, well, are they going to contradict anything? Or is there going to be something that's kind of like, okay, that's kind of convenient. Honestly, I I couldn't even see anything that would look even mildly controversial or, you know, or contradictory. Maybe the only, like, the closest one, that's me being nitpicking, uh, is... Uh, is that Thane? Thane and his group are the ones who find out that the Emperor is going to be at the uh, is going to be at the Death Star. Because um, there's a point where I think Mon Mothma says many Bothans died to bring us this information. There's not a single Bothan involved in with the Corona Squadron. Um, but in fairness, 
All they, but in fairness, maybe the Bothans were the ones who figured out about you know the hill generator, and Thane and his group were the ones who figured out about the em- the emperor. So you know, because I, because it's it's been a minute since I watched Return of the Jedi, which is kind of weird in hindsight. Um, but uh, but that was the only thing I could think of would maybe that scene. But like you have so many other scenes where it's like uh, like I really like the Sienna and Nash and Baris, I think is her name. Mm-hmm. Uh, are the ones who uh, disabled the hyperdrive on the Millennium Falcon at the end of uh, Empire. I um, I really like that uh, Thane and Yendor are the um, are the first guys to uh, or the second guys to take down an ATAT on Hoth. I thought that was interesting because um, Luke is the first one. Um, or excuse me, technically Wedge is the first one with the tow cables. Um, I don't know, just different things like that. I, I did, I actually really enjoyed, and it didn't. It to me, it didn't take me out of the, out of it at all. To to be like, okay, well, so these guys were the ones who were behind the scenes the entire time. I was fine with that because anytime that I now, anytime that I watch these movies, um, particularly when when you know you see Alderaan be destroyed, like that's that was interesting thing to see through other people's eyes. Um, but I'm going to be thinking about these characters as I'm watching the original trilogy a lot. And, and I'm perfectly fine with that because these are great characters. So, so to answer the simple, the question simply, yes, it is absolutely in my grand canon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm the same. No, like huge controversies here. Um, I would definitely earn its place. and like to just add on to what you said, I thought um, another cool scene um, that kind of like um, didn't really like tie up a loose end. It was just like an extra detail I found interesting is um, a- after the destruction of, of the Death Star, that's I and Amberis are the ones who go and um, and retrieve um, Vader's star fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was also a cool little thing. It was one of the things that, like, you know, it didn't, it it wasn't enough to, like, interrupt the story in any way or, like, t- t- take you out of it in any way. Mm-hmm. It was, like, just enough of, like, a small event, a small explanation that happened that you're just kind of like, oh, okay, cool. That's where everybody is at this point in the story and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really well done. But, um... Um, yeah. Now, I do want to end with a question that I thought would um, pack a little bit more of a of a punch to it, since I figured we'd be um, about unanimous as far as um, our grand canons go with this book. Um, I did want to ask um, another thing we ask every episode um, is what each other's um, what scene or what section of the story um struck you as the as the hypest um thing that happened now i feel like i feel like hype is it's kind of an inappropriate word to use for a story that's so like tragic and somber but um but i will ask you um jacob what scene was your favorite um in this story uh, let's go with that. So there was a point where I thought about I thought about the ending being it, but like 
that ending's heartrending. It, it, it's difficult to read. It honestly is because because you know it's it's similar like like I said to you know something like, like almost like Captain America Winter Soldier or something like that where you have these two opposites um, going at it basically and it's it you're you're like I love them both no don't do this um, but for me like the the one moment that I was just like man that was just cool you, you know because we, we, mm-hmm. you, you, it's okay to do the hype, the hype question, you know, if, if there is somebody that's like that. And sure enough, there is. Um, so when they're in the Imperial Academy, um, there are multiple points where Sienna and Thane are at the top of their class going back and forth where, oh, one, one week this, point, this, this person's five points ahead, and next week Thane is five points ahead, and Sienna, and so on and so forth. It's kind of like a, kind of like a friendly rivalry, basically. Um, then there's a point where they're... Uh, headmaster or whatever i can't remember what 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 the technical name is but uh he's like all right you're gonna ride speeder bikes through the streets of coruscant and you're gonna have to hit these rings uh it's basically gonna be a video game tutorial but uh you could die because it's it's a it's a speeder bike um and we've seen what happened we as the as the reader and viewer have seen what happens in return of the jedi um and we know how how easily they can be uh thrown off balance you can just run right headfirst into something just explode um so they're racing <clears throat> and then all of a sudden um accidentally their speeders get too close to each other and they have to intertwine or they get they get jammed up the same way that luke's and that one scout troopers does in return and instead of one of them veering off and then the other one landing into a tree um because Thane and Sienna are two halves of a whole, like because they are who they are as characters, they work together to fly the entire or the second half of the race basically as one unit with two speeder bikes at the same time. That is a really really cool moment. That it, it's one of those kind of framing devices that like the moment it happens, I was like. That's really cool, and like I just, you know, I, 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 it's it's cool that someone else was thinking that way. That 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 Claudia was thinking that way. That I, I was like, I, I, I don't know if I would have thought of doing something similar like that, um, in a story. And I just, I, I don't know, I just really like that moment. Yeah, yeah, it's sick. Um, even though now I will say, um, after you made that comparison, whenever I watch. Um, that scene in Return of the Jedi. I'm just gonna imagine Luke <laughs> hooking up at the stormtrooper and just being and just going, "Fly with me." <laughs> <laughs> Please, I need you. And they just, and they just navigate the, the the circumference of Endor. <laughs> and then they come to a stop, and the stormtrooper just like, oh. Oh, that was incredible! I never knew I had the other half of my soul out here. And then Luke just decapitates him with his lightsaber. <laughs> oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna be seeing that in my dreams tonight. That's great. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> um, oh yeah, that's a great um, that's a great part of the book. Um, uh, mine, I have to say, um, is not that flashy. But um, it's um, it's the exchange that occurs when Thane has joined up with um, 
with um, his his first crew um, after he deserts the Empire. And um, and they do a relief run where they deliver a bunch of like medicines and supplies to um, um, this part of the planet that like is having a terrible storm going on. And um, and um, they do the delivery, and afterwards, um, Thane has an exchange with um, another of the pilots who's there, and it just so happens to be Wedge um, from the Rebellion. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and they have ex- an exchange. They have an exchange about the Rebellion and the Empire. And this exchange in this book is where I really stopped and realized, like, oh, this is a Star Wars story that is really an anti-war book. Like, this is, like, like this is where Claudia Gray is really asking the really uncomfortable questions that one needs to ask in order to honestly and openly examine um, the horrors of war and, and questions of questions about human conflict. Uh, because there's a part where Wedge gets really kind of heated and kind of indignant with um, how skeptical and cynical Thane is about the rebellion. Um, and Wedge... Um, it's just like, you know, you saw what happened, you know um, the Death Star had to be destroyed. And Thane comes back at him, and it's just like, yeah, um, the Death Star had to be destroyed. But even though it was necessary, that doesn't change the fact that, that it was really bloody work. Um, and just that exchange really frames how complicated um, um, these conflicts are and how complicated just the whole subject and reality um, of war is. Um, and like it and like it does kind of bear the questioning of just like, yeah, uh, the deaths are ha- had to be destroyed. like it outweighs um, it outweighs the loss there obviously it was a horrible horrible invention um it would have gone on to destroy tons of planets and hundreds of billions and trillions of lives um but it still um, does not circumvent uh, the reality that a loss of life is a loss of life um, regardless of what side of the war it's on and I was just really, really impressed with that exchange, um, both with how intense and uncomfortable it was, and also just how concisely um, Gray was able to to broach that issue and kind of show just how complicated it is, and kind of and kind of call out um, fans and writers too, who were just kind of like, you know, um, if you're going to write about Star Wars you need to acknowledge the fact that you were writing about a war and and when you write about war you write about the loss of life um and i was just really really impressed um with that scene um for sure 
Uh, again, hype isn't exactly the right word <laughs> to ascribe <laughs> to it, but um, um, it, um, it was really intense and it was really, really impressive. Um, and I was happy with it. But um, yeah, um, as we close um, this episode, uh, we've uh, we've talked a lot today, but this is, as we said, this book has a lot to talk about. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't even cover yeah. um, this book. <laughs> but that's just kind of what you have to do because um, as as much as I would enjoy doing um, the five hour podcast with my <laughs> with my brother Jacob here, um, I'm not sure everybody else would be as excited about it. Sure. So, <laughs> so um, but I will end here right now. Um, Jacob, um, any last words last thoughts about the book claudia gray is one of the one of the best star wars writers of all time and i've only read two of her books but they are two of the better star wars books i've ever read um i can't wait to read the rest of her stuff whether we read whether we read it for the podcast or i just read it on my own i will be picking up uh, master and apprentice which is about obi-wan and qui-gon jinn and i can't remember what the actual title of it is but the one she wrote about princess leia um mm, yeah both both of those and 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 bloodlines which is also about princess <laughs> leia but more about uh her relationship with darth vader and then also the raising of her son um and i, I want to read all of that um because she is fantastic and she's and and also i i, I gotta be honest i kind of want to see how good her character work is because i'm sure it is but I also want to see how well she handles characters that have already been established. Because every every book that I've read of hers are newer characters or pe- people who are basically blank slates whenever they started out. Um, but you contrast that when you're writing about Obi-Wan Kenobi or Qui-Gon Jinn or Princess Leia of all characters. You know, that's that's a bit that's a bit heavier and that might be a little bit more difficult. But I, I'm I'm certain that she's a, that she does that fantastic just the same way she did this. Um one aspect that we didn't talk about that I'm not going to go deep into, but I am going to touch on it just a little bit. He writes, he writes love, like like romantic love in a Star Wars novel, better than anyone I've, I've ever seen, hands down. Mm-hmm. Um, because every other time that someone writes writes about it, and a lot of times even in, in fantasy novels in general, um, when someone writes about a romantic scene. It is very clear that you that they were they started out their draft with in the sense of I'm gonna do the fun Star Wars stuff. I'm gonna do this fun lightsabers and blasters and flying starfighters and all that. Oh, I guess I better add some some romance in here, you know. And then it's it's very clearly like the romance was they was the last kind of aspect that they wanted to add to it with Claudia Gray. At least with her writing in this, I can't I can't account to the rest of them. Although she definitely does do a good job with certain characters in uh, Fallen Star, which we will get to eventually. Um, with her romance with within the care with the characters is something that is almost. Uh, I mean, it, to me, it's essential for for her writing and for this story, and she treats it as such. Um, and he does it in a way that's very natural and very beautiful. And I just, I loved everything about that. Um, yeah. Um, I agree. As I already said, um, this is probably the best written Star Wars book I've, I've read. Um, it's just, 
everything from the character work to the conflict to the pacing of the story like everything is just flawless up until those last five pages which again <laughs> i'm going to choose to to attribute that to somebody else because it just it doesn't make any sense um but um it was awesome i mean i haven't i enjoy um, the star wars books that i read i haven't like purely enjoyed and been as invested in one as i was with um lost stars um since like i read um kevin a anderson's books um that he wrote in the old canon um and those were like a couple of the first ones i ever read anyway so um yeah it's awesome um um if you're if you're into star wars books if you're into just good stories in general um this one's great because you don't really need to to know a whole lot um about the events of star wars to <laughs> um enjoy the story but um um yeah um it's a good book you should read it um about <laughs> you can summarize the entire podcast right there it's a good book and you should read it um and <laughs> and the royal family has done some questionable things <laughs> that's about the extent of this podcast <laughs> um but um thank you all so much uh for hanging out with us um hey if you enjoy hearing us talk about Star Wars stuff, there is um, a lot more to come. Uh, we have a really special episode coming in October. Uh, for anyone who wants to read along with us um, and keep up with the uh, material we're discussing, we're going to be reading Shadows of the Empire. Um, it's an Ode Canon book, and we will be joined by none other than our um, friend and fellow fandom correspondent, um, Josh Hardesty, the Wise Sage. Um, this is one he requested we do. So um, I, I'm really interested to um, undercrack this one open and get into it uh, with him and Jacob. Um, we also have a couple of other projects going on right now. Um, Josh and Jacob are doing an excellent show called um, Brothers with Issues, where they're discussing um, the main event comics going on uh, um, right now. Um, uh, Dark Crisis going on in EC Comics and um, Judgment Day going on in Marvel Comics. Um, there are a bunch of episodes in. Um, if you had the thought of just like, boy, Judgment Day sounds cool, but I don't want to read all 1,800 books that are coming out about it, um, don't worry. Josh and Jacob are doing that for you. Um, so be sure uh, to listen to that. Uh, we started a new series called Fandom Lounge. It's really chill and laid back. Uh, we just kind of talk about uh, the things we've been up to um, on that week. Um, it's kind of a chance for y'all to get to know us outside of the more structured stuff we do um, here on Fandom Talk. Um, and last but not least, it is the end of September, which means Horror Fest is coming in October. Josh and I are doing our um, our usual shtick of uh, talking about horror films. Um, and we may even have a special surprise project as well with um, a couple of our, our other friends that pops up. Um, so be sure to be on the lookout for that. Um, Jacob, as always, thank you very much uh, for doing the show with me. Um, you make this an absolute blast. Um, and everybody out there, thank you so much for your support, whether you donate to um, our Fandom Correspondence Patreon or whether you just hang out with us on Spotify. We really appreciate it. Um, so this is Al signing off for Fandom Talk. Just remember that fandom is for everyone.
even the weird editorial guy who decided to change the ending of Lost Stars. So thank you very much, um, and, and have a great month, and we will see you in October.